Hi, I'm Craig Lance. I'm Will Davison. I'm Mark Winterbottom. I'm Greg Murphy. We're the Forex Angels, and you're listening to the VA Insiders. It's your weekly dose of V8 news on the V8 Insiders. Now here's your host, Craig Revell. Win Cup opens the gap. I can't think of the last win I had. I think it was back in uh, Queensland Raceway, which is a while ago. Race one. Skate has launched the car of the future and should wildcards top up the field at every race in the championship. But whilst we're a team owner, I would say to you that we, I would um, always uh, venomously oppose that. We look at that and more today as the lights go out on another edition of the V8 Insiders. Take in the V8 to the races. You watch the action on TV. Now, read about them in V8X Magazine. V8X Magazine, dedicated to just one thing, V8 supercars. Showcasing some of today's best writers and award-winning photographers, V8X brings you all the news and in-depth interviews demanded by today's V8 supercar fans in one action-packed magazine. V8X, the number one magazine in V8 supercar coverage. Out now. Jamie Winkup has opened up a 122-point lead in the V8 Supercar Championship following two wins at the Island 300. Winkup was relieved that he turned around his troubles on the Gold Coast to maintain his position at the top of the standings. I, I couldn't be happier with the, with the weekend. We, we had great pace. Um, this morning the, the pole position was, was great. We, uh, we didn't expect that. And then uh, very straightforward race. Got off to a great start. Um, car was very quick, we were able to hold a gap and uh, just trying to keep the concentration and uh, it's very easy to spear off here so uh, the only hiccup was the, uh, the safety car that was, uh, that was a big drama at the end of pit lane um, relatively dangerous in a way but uh, we got all that sorted and uh, thankfully was able to, uh, to cross line with a comfortable gap On Saturday, Rick Kelly picked up the first podium for Jack Daniels Racing, taking third place. The race car we had was absolutely fantastic. It's when they gave me exactly what I needed there as far as a car goes. Um, It was my first shootout since um, New Zealand this year, so it was a bit of a a nervous one, and I think I could have got a bit more out of it if I had um, a couple more under my belt. But the race was great. The biggest thing for me, mate, is I'm I'm really disappointed that Todd couldn't be up there with me. He had a couple of guys... Um, deal with him quite harshly from what I saw and um, that's a bit of a bummer but for the, for the whole team this is um, absolutely awesome to get, a, get our first podium um, you know, three quarters into our first year is great and the pace we've had here and in the last three rounds has been great as well so um, as a team we're pretty happy And then on Sunday he backed it up with a strong second place finish yeah, I mean from a personal point of view first I, I really enjoyed that race it was, it was awesome to chase Jamie down he was pushing hard and, and so was I and we managed to, to stay within two seconds of him for, you know, for, for that whole time and I'm pretty stoked with that um, you know, if, we, if we're going to win races I need to drive very consistently and get the most out of the car every corner of uh, every lap of every, of every race and um, you know, we showed that we're, we're quite strong as far as the race car goes and, and keeping the car on the track and going fast so I'm, I'm personally satisfied with that and, and as the team goes it would be great to um, let everyone enjoy this everyone's worked so hard to, to get to this point and um, it'd be really good to, to have a bit of a lunch with the boys and enjoy it before we head to Perth straight away it's, um, it's, a little bit, it's a little bit of a bummer that Todd wasn't up there with me he's probably driven even better than I have all weekend and through you know unfortunate circumstances in both races wasn't able to, to finish up there so with the pace we've both had 
um, you know, we should go the next two races and, and keep that momentum going and, and do the same thing again, hopefully. Will Davison looked like he was keeping the pressure on Wing Cup with a second on Saturday. So, you know, I'm confident we can do our homework tonight and hopefully make it a bit kinder tomorrow so I can attack a bit more. But the weekend turned sour on Sunday with an 11th place finish. You know, we'll come back fighting. There's still a lot of races to go. So main focus is a fast car and uh, winning in the, the best way, which is just pulling away in the front. His teammate, though, Garth Tander, found his way back to the podium with a third on Sunday, although his qualifying will need to be looked at if he wants any chances being a contender in the championship. Oh, this weekend, I mean, Indy, we had a drama with the gearbox, and then um, this weekend the car just wouldn't hook up on the good tyre uh, for, for whatever reason. And, um, you know, yesterday the car was not too bad in the race. We're probably still a te- two to three tenths behind, uh, you know, the guys that were in front of us yesterday. And then, and then today we had to use the car very hard to get ourselves up to where we were, so we pr- definitely didn't have the tyre life at the end there. So, um, yeah, look, it just didn't hook up in- on green tyres, so we-, we make it hard for ourselves. But I said to Mark Beretta before the race, I'd just do it to make it interesting for Channel 7. As you heard from Rick Kelly, Todd was in all sorts of dramas right throughout the weekend. He spoke about his luck. Yeah, it was an hour weekend, that's for sure. Um, after seeing the Lowndes yesterday, and uh, just bad luck today, really, with um, the, all the confusion and action happening in the pit lane. So um, we're in a position to do really well both days this weekend, and the car was great. So... Um, yeah, but it's great for the team. You know, all the boys have worked really hard, and, and you know what Rick did this weekend was genuine. You know, we didn't luck out and, and get there by someone giving it to us. That was earned, and the cars were genuinely fast, and they have been for quite a few rounds. We just haven't been able to put it together. So it's going to be uh, you know a really good, strong finish for the year for the team, which is fantastic, given that's uh, you know only our first year. But the good news for the toddler is the cars are quick. Everyone's done a great job. There's teams that go for 10 years in this sport and can't get the recipe right to get a car to qualify well and to race well and to get on a podium. So to have done that uh, already is is huge and it certainly gives us the confidence moving forward. I've got no issue whatsoever with our equipment. All the boys are... As I said, done a great job, and when we get it right on the day, they're good enough to, uh, to be on the podium and on the front row. The major issue from the weekend was on Sunday when the pace car failed to pick up the leader, Jamie Winkup. It remained parked on the pit exit as the leaders rejoined the circuit and pulled up beside the safety car. With cars still on the track, thundering into the one of the fastest corners in Australia, Winkup, Tander and Rick Kelly all talked about the incident and gave us their thoughts on how it came to happen and how it must be avoided in the future. Yeah, well, I think these, oh, I think GT would have had a better view of the whole thing. Um, but I was aware that cars were doing 250k at that point, and I was doing about 20 waiting for the uh, the safety car to go. Um, if I had my time again, I probably would have just kept going and just passed it and got it to sort it out another time. Um, very, it's just a massively dangerous situation, and something when it, when it pulls off and the lights go out, it's all a bit messy at the moment. So, um, hey, I'm I'm not complaining about it. I'm, uh, that's just the way it is. But uh, if we could clean that up, um, I think it'd be much better. We're quite lucky that someone's fuel tank didn't end up under the bonnet with uh, with what happened. I mean, I parked alongside the safety car and gave it a few revs, and they just they just sat there like, well, you know, we're ready, let, let's go, and um, and nothing happened. I mean, I, I would expect that, that something. Or you know something may may get done about that because um, you, you certainly don't want that to happen again. I, I wouldn't like to be parked on the road when cars are coming up the straight doing 250 again. That's for sure. 
I think what needs to happen there um, from a <coughs> serious point of view is we need to understand exactly what happened, whether it was a communication issue or a procedural issue, and um, perhaps we need to uh, have a bit of a review about all that and not, certainly not headhunt anyone or find out why, find out someone and lynch them for it, but um, you know, certainly we don't need cars parked on the circuit at the fastest pit exit in Australia. Um, you know, with other cars. The drama is that the safety car merge line for pit exit is exactly where the safety car was stopped. So I was actually racing Stephen, Stevie J, who was coming out of the pits, and he was racing to get in the queue by the sound of things behind Jamie and Rick, and I was on the track doing 250k an hour. So, um, you know, a bit of common sense would have prevailed there. I mean, the race director was standing right above all that. The, the, other, uh, the other issue we had was we, um, we come out of pit lane with four cold tyres, and spent half a lap waiting for the safety car to pass us, and then all of a sudden the lights went out and, and the race went and didn't even warm the tyres up. So that was a bit of an issue also. To the silly season now, and it would appear that smaller teams are looking closely at offers being received by Sprint Gas Racing and considering if they want to keep their racing entitlement contracts, also known as RECs. The V8 Insider spoke to Tim Miles of Sprint Gas Racing and asked if the rumours of them selling up were true. I've had a number of approaches as a result of all the rumour that's been in the market um, and a couple of those are very serious. So, you know, I think all that the four performers in Tasman are, I guess we're looking at them seriously, to be honest. We, we None of us really want to get out of the sport, but at the same time, you don't always get people coming up to you as keen as the people that are talking to us at the moment with the, with the sort of level of interest that they've shown. From the island, Paul Crookshank and Jason Bright have added their wrecks to the two sprint gas racing that are up for sale. Most believe that Crookshank is testing the waters, but he was unavailable for comment when the V8 insiders tried to contact him this week. Jason Bright has told the V8 Insiders that he's still checking out options but wants to be able to move back to a two-car team in the future. At this stage, you know, whether I hang on to two licences or not, it's hard to say. Um, but, you know, I'd certainly, I'd certainly only um, you know, release one licence if, uh, if I was pretty confident that I could get it back at some stage or you know, buy another one at some stage. And Bright's now been linked with Walkinshaw Performance, Brad Jones Racing and Wilson Security Racing. So how much is a V8 supercar licence worth? Well, our spies tell us that the Dumbrell offer is for $1.75 million. D'Alberto's evidently offered over $1.47 million, which means that if V8 Supercar chose to take one of those two licences back, it's likely that D'Alberto would miss out. We've got plenty more on the silly season in our roundtable this week. Mark Scaife has laid out his Car of the Future plans last Monday to the V8 Supercar Board, with most leaving the meeting satisfied with the preliminary report. Although the details are being kept confidential, as not all team owners have yet had the chance to review the documentation presented by Scaife, it is believed that the evolutionary nature of the plan will keep the majority of pit lane happy, while providing the opportunity for V8 supercars to court new manufacturers into the sport. Scaife will now finalise the plans, with the board expected to sign off on the details at the December meeting ahead of the Sydney 500. The sign-off will then allow teams to plan how they will phase out the current cars and move them towards the car of the future by 2012. 
Tim Miles has stated that while he is a team owner and an alternate board member, he will not support wild cards at every round. Absolutely not. I mean, the, 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 the value that you talked about earlier in this interview, the value that the sport has is because the teams that are competing in the championship are professional and they know the only way to be in the championship is to own a licence. As soon as you go allowing the wildcard entries, whether it's a Marcus Ambrose or whomever, what you've done is you've devalued the, the, the holding of a wreck. So there's a lot of people who would love to do Bathurst or um, Homebush. I think it would be a huge event. There'd be a lot of people that would like to do that. But as soon as you're allowing one-offs for those one or two events, you've actually um, seriously diluted the value of, of the of the wreck. And, and, that, and that dilution is, is impacting all the teams. But moreover, one of the, the biggest challenges that a race team has, it's like any business is revenue-led, and one of the biggest challenges you, ha- you have with a, a group of garagists is finding the revenue. And there's 28 cars competing in a 28-car field. Um, there's only 28 sets of doors that can, can sell the stickers. When you've got uh, wildcard entries, four or five, for three or four different events, then somebody can go and sell those stickers extraordinarily cheaply for events that might get... 30% of our television ratings. So you might get somebody selling 30% of the value for 50% of the price, and that's or less. And and so um, and, and that really really would impact how um, the survival of the 28 wrecks that are left. So um, won't be. I won't have a vote on it uh, if I sell. So it wouldn't be an issue. But whilst we're a team owner, I, I would say to you that we. I would um, always. Uh, vehemently opposed that. You can hear more from Tim Miles on this week's White Flag Lap. And that's the news on the V8 Insiders. After the break, Chris Jewell and Neville Wilkinson will join me to look at This Weekend and Beyond. Controversy Corner is next when we return with more on the V8 Insiders. Hi, I'm Rick Kelly from Jack Daniels Racing and you're listening to the V8 Insiders. Take in the V8 to the races. You watch the action on TV. Now, read about them in V8X Magazine. V8X Magazine, dedicated to just one thing, V8 supercars. Showcasing some of today's best writers and award-winning photographers, V8X brings you all the news and in-depth interviews demanded by today's V8 supercar fans in one action-packed magazine. V8X, the number one magazine in V8 supercar coverage. Out now. Welcome back to the V8 Insiders. Joining us this week on the show, it is the voice of the V8 Supercars, Chris Jewell. Thanks for joining us, Chris. Hey, Craig. How are you going? Very well, thanks. I know this man is because he's uh, in that momentary rest period where V8X is on the stands with the Bathurst winners on the cover and he gets to take a breath before the run to the Sydney 500 and the end-of-year extravaganza edition of V8X. Never uh, yeah, uh, yeah, I'd like to call it a breath, but no, I'm busy working on the next one as we speak. The Island 300 and uh, an old mate of yours, Chris Jewell, Jason Bright, found some speed and blew them away in the shootout in the end. Yeah, it was a pretty good lap, actually. Um, the last poll he had was August 2006 at Oran Park, where he actually claimed pole position by four-tenths of a second, and he virtually did it again at Phillip Island last week, which just confirms the progress they have been making since he moved into the FG, because he's certainly been much more competitive since that Queensland test they had prior to the uh, to the Phillip Island event. But, um, yeah, good to see him up there. Unfortunately, it all turned to dust within 500 metres on the uh, on the start on Saturday, but certainly some good speed there, and just a shame that in some ways that 
part of the silly season that we'll talk about a bit later on doesn't include Jason Bright continuing there because it just seems strange to me that when they finally start getting pole positions, he's going to have to go and start from zero somewhere else. It is Neville, uh, one of the things that... Uh, and it seems like that at FPR too, he was just getting on top of the gas, getting to the front, and then he decided to make the move to Brightech. Well, yeah, everybody's got different reasons why they move. I mean, just backing up on what Chris said, um, it was a really good lap for the qualifying, but he also backed it up. He had a very good qualifying session in the 20-minute qualifying on the Sunday as well, so it wasn't a fluke. Uh, Bridie really had a handle on the car and the track that, uh, on last weekend. But, um, yeah, it makes a move. I mean, obviously, I think market forces uh, maybe are forcing him a little bit to have to do what he's got to do this time. Um, but we're not too sure exactly what he's going to do. And that's probably one of the big big talking points because he's probably one of the dominoes that it's going to be first to fall to set the rest falling. Mm, well, yeah. he's a tough one for Jason, though, of course. He's, it's not just a driver change. It's not just moving to another team. He's still got two licenses hanging off the back of what he does. So it's probably a little bit more complicated than, you know, Coulthard to Walkinshaw Racing, for instance, Murphy potentially to Super Cheap, and all the other stuff that's getting around. Jason's got the added complication of having a couple of licenses he has to try and take care of. And in the current climate of um, the field looking like it's going to be shrunk back to 28 cars, that throws an added curveball into his plans. But I think if he's clever, he'll secure the drive somewhere first and worry about the licence part second i think i don't think there's going to be any shortage of licenses even if he wants to lease it or sell them um i'm telling you it's a pretty good market at the moment trying to sell them there's people offering some absolute crazy prices on uh for licenses so uh you know uh, i think i think jason's got a couple of uh options when it comes to the licensing and i agree get, secure your drive um get that out of the way and then figure out how you're going to do, do the license what, what, what you're going to do with the licenses well, one of the options could well be that V8 Supercar Australia buy it back because it certainly looks like they are vigorously looking at reducing the field in number to 28, and that means somebody who wants a licence is going to miss out, and that could be a real tale of woe for some of the people who are currently vying to secure a licence to run there in operation. But no, Jason Bright's speed's been good. He was quick at the Gold Coast as well. Um, just missed out on a top-10 shootout at Bathurst, and certainly since he got into that FG, he started to show uh, some better speed. He's had a couple of sixth and sevenths, and I think fifth on Sunday last week, so good to see him uh, returning to form. Incredible how it happens on the uh, back of the announcement that his long-time sponsor of leaving to go to Greener Pastures, no pun intended. And that is that is it as well. He's, he's finally getting all his ducks in a row. The luck is turning because, as you well know, Chris, that first year... It was an absolute shocker for him, and uh, he he had all the he had the trouble in Perth, and and then that really set the whole team back so far. So, um, well, it's good to see Brighty back up the front. He's reminding everyone that he is a force, and we'll we'll just have to wait now and see what happens in 2010. Look, uh, getting back to the Island 300, and uh, Jamie Winkup, he really steadied the ship. Nev, he got those two wins, and the added bonus was that it wasn't Will Davison City in second place on Sunday. Well, yeah, it just, I mean, it's an added bonus just to finish in front of Will at the moment for him, and um, he did it in style. A lot of people likened it to getting back off the canvas. He'd been whacked, he'd been knocked to the knocked to the floor or the canvas, and he got back up because I tell you that uh, that um, well, I nearly said Indy, but the Super GP result was not a good weekend for him, and suddenly he's bounced right back in the best term, in the, in the best way possible. One pole and uh, two wins, and it's the wins that give him the points. So he's back up to over 100 points uh, in front of uh, Will Davison, and um, I don't think he could have done it much better because, let's face it, HRT did struggle a bit on uh, on the weekend, 
and that was probably the worst time for it to happen. Mm. It, it was... Well, I think every race, Chris, and when you're speaking to the drivers, you can tell every race there's that toing and froing, and any time that a, a, a contender isn't on the podium, like we saw Garth was fourth on on uh, on Saturday, and then and then Will wasn't there on Sunday. You, you get that feeling, don't you, when you talk to those guys that they know the sheep station is within grasp, but not being on the podium each and every race now is going to be a uh, is going to be a telling factor. Well, Will's had an exemplary year. He's never been worse than second in the championship since we left the Clipsal back in March. So in some ways, he's probably overachieved. They've, he and Garth won at Phillip Island at the LNH 500. They backed it up with a win at uh, the Super Cheap Auto Bathurst 1000. Yet despite all of those marquee wins, he's still only ever been second by a narrowing margin. And, um, and a friend of mine who's a, a very closely related um, to Will said to me last week prior to Phillip Island, Will was concerned about how Jamie would bounce back because in every other moment where he's had dramas in his career he's bounced back incredibly well and as Neville said earlier on off the canvas is probably a fairly accurate description of what he did and he's very hard on himself and I noticed even in the Saturday evening post-race uh, interview we were doing he was very circumspect the job was not yet done he wasn't getting in front of himself and it's almost like uh, you know the chastened lover in some ways he really has raised the game to another level and the bonus for him of course was that Will had dramas in the second race on Sunday after some early contact and you know slip down through the order so you know right now it'd have to be a disaster that would befall Jamie to not you know itch his name on his second championship trophy but gee who knows you know Garth asked me straight after the second race what are the points so Garth will be out to win at least the first race uh, at Barbara Gallo which he's probably likely to do on home soil who knows if he'll ever get to the point of playing rear gunner for Will whereas clearly Craig Lowndes will certainly do that for Jamie Winker. Nev what's well, your thoughts? Well I think I think, that, well, let's face it, Will, to win the championship, has to finish in front of um, uh, Win Cup every race. Right? Let's, let's face it, there's only four races left to go, so to have any chance, realistically, he has to finish in front. Now, if, uh, I think if Jamie finishes behind Will, so let's say Will wins every race, I think Will comes uh, Win Cup, if he finishes second, still going to win the championship. So the pressure is definitely on Will, um, and I know I think Jamie needs to think about how he's going to tackle this and not go. I think he may have gone into a bit of uh, defend the championship mode at the Super GP, where I think the you know it was on the line at uh, at the Island 300, and he and he just went out there and raced like it was the first race of the championship and come out a winner. And I think that's how he's got to tackle the other two rounds, not go out there and defend, but go out there and attack. Mm. And um, I think I, th I think he'll do the job. If he does that. It is going to be uh, a thrilling last four races. Guys, a couple of issues before we go to the break. Just quickly now, no grip was the big call at Phillip Island, wasn't it? And uh, all the drivers were complaining. Was it the track or was it the new shell? Now, Fitzy always says it's the same, you know, it's the same cake mix. It was just in a different cake tin. Well, how would you know? I mean, the temperature's different than Phillip Island as usual. It was an unusually hot weekend. Uh, it was dusty. It was a two-day meeting, not a three-day meeting. So there wasn't running around on the Thursday and all the other classes on the Thursday laying rubber down. So how would you know? I mean, the drivers always complain when there's no grip, but uh, they all had no grip. Um, I just, I just think the drivers always want grip and they complain when they don't get it. 
Chris? Yeah, well, look, the fact of the matter is, you know, you've got a tendered tyre. The tyre is actually made to last a season, and with, uh, out including the soft compound tyre we've gone to in isolation this year, the fact of the matter is that tyre has to work at 6 degrees Celsius and 36 degrees Celsius. So in some ways you could say, what a good tyre. It didn't chunk, it didn't fail, it didn't throw rubber off, it just didn't have grip, and that's a byproduct of having a tyre that's going to have to cope with a whole host of different tracks at a whole host of different temperatures. Um, get on with it, I reckon. Yeah, well, it was certainly interesting racing when they did. We need to take a break here on the V8 Insiders. We'll be back with plenty more right after this. The views expressed on V8 Insiders, including the panellists and guests, do not reflect those of the network, Thunder Media, sportradio.com.au or V8X Magazine. Any publication or rebroadcast of the show without the expressed written permission of Thunder Media is strictly prohibited. Hi, I'm Craig Lance from Team Vodafone and you're listening to V8 Insiders. Take in the V8 to the races. You watch the action on TV. Now, read about them in V8X Magazine. V8X Magazine, dedicated to just one thing, V8 supercars. Showcasing some of today's best writers and award-winning photographers, V8X brings you all the news and in-depth interviews demanded by today's V8 supercar fans in one action-packed magazine. V8X, the number one magazine in V8 supercar coverage. Out now. Welcome back to the V8 Insiders. Craig Ravel with you along with Neville Wilkinson and Chris Jewell. And guys, I guess the uh, big thing we need to uh, look at was the safety car shambles because that was a, a very scary moment and certainly Stephen Johnson's in-car camera uh, really highlighted just how dangerous it was, Chris. Yeah, you're right. And look, uh, television slows everything down. So despite the fact that that uh, shot-in car looked pretty horrible and uh, despite the fact that Mark Scaife was obviously very critical of what had happened, and rightly so, I watched that with my own eyes out, the, out of the commentary box. And to see the closing speed to the naked eye, you know, is much, much quicker when you look at it laterally down the straight than you look at a front-on camera view. And I could see what was happening very, very early there. And you could see Wind Cup flashing his lights. And I just was expecting the worst, and not just the worst for the race drivers, because, yes, it might have been a multiple pile-up, but they've all got helmets and roll cages. If someone had hit that Audi safety car, no helmets, minimal protection, it would have been catastrophic, to say the least, and quite why it hadn't motored away through Turn 1. It doesn't matter if the leader picks up the safety car at Turn 1 or Turn 11. The fact of the matter is, the leader's still the leader, and the drivers know that they won't pass the leader, but that was just... One of the single most frightening things I've ever seen and probably one of the biggest escapes we've ever had, and that's not understating it, I can assure you. Mm-hmm. Nev, your thoughts on that whole matter? Well, I agree with uh, Chris on the safety car thing. Um, it was uh, it was like it was a standstill and these cars come motoring. And, and I mean, I saw, I saw the television footage like everybody else and it was like I was... I couldn't believe what I was seeing. The, the, the safety car was... That was the unsafest thing of the whole safety car thing, you know what I mean? It was just... It wasn't a not-so-safe safety car. And when they've got cars scattered across the track that are coming out not wanting to pass the safety car because they know the rules, suddenly the kind of, there's no room for these cars coming down at, you know, at over 250 kilometres plus an hour. Mm. I mean, it's pretty scary. It is I mean, the top three went into the pits and that was the fourth, fifth and sixth runners that sort of came around next. If we'd have had you know, only two or three, um, car, sorry, four or five cars come out of the pits, we would have had a five-car 
grid sitting there doing nothing and it, yeah it was singularly frightening and if we go back one step as well the safety car for um for dean fury was just an absolute joke i mean he, it, where the car had ended up on the outside of turn four was unlikely anyone was get, going to get there again i spoke to dean post race and he said well, what a you know muck up i just you know i tried to get the throttle to get the back around i was looking for a handbrake to try and turn the car and i looked like an idiot sticking it in there and i don't think anyone's ever done that before and all of a sudden he moved the car anyway down mm. the track and we had a safety car I, i'm really starting to tire of the safety car deployment being a little bit too premature and we've seen that on more than one occasion and there are people who are saying that it's you know the competition caution is the way to close the field up so really not just the safety car deployment but the reason for the safety car i think was premature yep it's the old debris on the circuit guys moving on uh, we've seen scafi on monday put down the uh, recommendation for the car of the future and uh, well i'm sure chris jewel your spies in the board meeting were giving you a little bit more than what us regular media types were getting who says I've got any spies in there? I can't imagine I have. But, um, look, I'm, I'm still of the opinion that the uh, the capped price they're talking about of 250000 is probably still too expensive. I mean, the engine is the single most expensive component. It's $95,000 a part that goes into building an engine before you include labour. But, look, I hope that they get it out, get it out quick, get the chance for the uh, the remainder of the teams to comment on it, which they're obviously going to because they received the, uh, the documentation on Monday, just gone yesterday. So uh, it's very, very important. But I would have thought that, you know, 250 was a maximum cap. I mean, a NASCAR doesn't cost anything like that amount of money to build, and nor do their engines. So, um, yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing a little bit more coming from that. But let's hope that the 250 cap is not starting at 250. Let's hope it's more like 180. And if it bleeds into 220, then that's a good initiative. All right, then, Nev, what about your spies? Well, I'll be very surprised if they get it under 250 because these guys really can't... Um agree on anything i remember a thing called the uh 20 point plan or whatever it was that coco wanted to bring out and hardly have you heard anything about that lately i haven't well they brought so... the tear-offs back that was campbell little's one achievement i think they got the tear-offs back on the windows which saved them from putting a window in every race yeah big deal but uh i mean there was all this stuff that coco said i'm going to force this through and da 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 and it never happened it all went away very quietly you know and you don't see v supercars beating their chest about that um it's market forces that are obviously going to make people change nothing else um hopefully uh well we none of us have seen the document so we'd love to see the see the document but um you know i'd be very surprised if they get it down to that the, t- the 250 because I, I just can't see the team owners agreeing on anything. No, no I'm concerned as well. And uh, you're right about the 14-point plan that we haven't actually seen the light of day. And, yeah, control rims, they'll reduce some costs. Two-day meetings might reduce costs, etc. But at the end of the day, um, there are some pretty uh, unhealthy teams in V8 Supercar land at the moment. We're on the verge of losing Tasman Motorsport, which is pretty much a fait accompli. You know, Paul Crookshank Racing's not in a state of good health. Jason Bright's making changes. You know, we've already had the inter-racing dramas earlier in the year with Marcus Marshall. And my nervousness is part of shrinking the field to 28 might all of a sudden result in us having 24 and then they'll go looking for more cars so yeah i'm you know i, I am concerned that um the, the draconian type cuts that we need to see to ensure we have a sustainable life in v8 supercar land with a full grid of competitively matched cars is uh, is really vital based on the back of this car of the future program mm. now yeah. ahead of gas and go which is brought to you by v8x magazine We do need to talk about the silly season, and uh, I'm going to do the silly season a bit like gas and go here, guys, so uh, I'll try and make the question so that you can give me a yes, no, or maybe answers here, or very short ones. Murphy's future. I heard before Chris you say super cheap auto. I've also heard Paul Morris say definitely not, which confirms it to me. 
Well, let's make sure we put a microphone in Paul's face uh, on the back of this when they do announce it, but I'd be shocked and horrified if Murph ends up anywhere else uh, other than super cheap. Let's just wait and see. That's where I'm putting my money. Nev? My money's on Kelly Racing. Okay. Jason Bright, we've talked a lot about, and you just brought up Paul Crookshank Racing. That's a real surprise, uh, Chris, that Paul Crookshank Racing might want to sell up, but uh, I guess, Nev, if someone wants to throw a bucket of money at you, you'll pick it up. That's exactly where it is. Paul Crookshank doesn't need to sell his licence, but some of these idiot prices that people are paying, he's thinking, uh, well, I'd be thinking, hey, maybe I'll sell my licence, sit out for a year or go and even lease one and continue my racing program with a lease licence and and sell at the right price. They're almost like houses, sell them at the right time, buy them at the right time. Um, And I tell you what, there's a few people thinking I'll sell my licence if someone offers me that amount of money for one. Mm, Well, if the stories are true that Wilson Security are following Jason Bride, that will leave Paul in a bit of a hole, and that would be an unfortunate situation. Obviously losing his marquee driver in Fabian Coulthard as well, so let's hope Paul can redeem himself, do whatever he needs to do to keep that business going, because he certainly runs a very, very good ship on a very limited budget. And as as far as Jason Bride's future is concerned, yeah, it's going to be a toss-up, isn't it? Does he occupy the second seat in the second of the two car teams of Walkinshaw Racing, i.e. the Bundaberg Red team or the Autobahn team, if it's still called that next year, I'd put my money on him heading to Albury. Okay, so Brad Jones for you, Chris. Um, Tim Slade's future, there's talk now that he's uh, got some backing to get a licence. Incredible, isn't it? Uh, James Rosenberg, a long-time backer of a lot of talent in motorsport, not just in V8 supercars, but obviously supporting Tim Macro and his Australian Formula 3 quest as well, and many other drivers before that. Um, yeah, that's a, that was a real left-field one to hear that uh, Tim Slade may well be uh, somehow factored into the mix there. But I would look not too far from another Gold Coast team, and the one we just spoke about in Paul Crookshank Racing on the back of uh, Greg Murphy going to Super Cheap. And if Greg doesn't go there, well, then maybe Tim's safe. Uh, it's interesting times ahead and that's only just the start of it but we do have to get to Gas and Go Gas and Go brought to you by V8X Magazine it's out now with the best Bathurst coverage in the business the Bathurst winners on the cover along with the livery for the Fujitsu car of Gary Rogers Motorsport and a whole bunch more an interesting story about uh, Castrol and uh, Bayless as well Nev yeah, well, we'll see what happens with that one. It's a bit, bit it's speculation that uh, Castrol and Bayless and Paul Morris Motorsport, but who knows? I mean, I think the only person who knows the key with Paul Morris is actually Paul Morris, but there's a bit of a word on the street that we picked up, and that's on the cover. Yes. Uh, hey, Gas and Go, brought to you by VX Magazine. And Chris Jewell, are two-day meetings the way forward for V8 Supercars? For non-marquee events, non-Clipsal, non-Bathurst, etc., etc., I think it's a great initiative and I'd fully support it. I thought last weekend was fantastic. Nev? Uh, yes, it's good, but they've got to be able to sell it to the tracks because they want the three days to make money, so the VH supercars are going to have to go and charge less for the tracks for only two days of action. Should Phillip Island be moved out of the football and horse racing seasons where the weather is so much finer? Nev? Uh, shoulda, coulda, woulda doesn't come into it. It's a V8 supercar event. They wanted the event before Bathurst because they own that event at Phillip Island. Uh, not going to happen. Always going to be the event before Bathurst at the moment. Chris, would you... <laughs> I don't think it would make a lot of difference. It would be cricket season and golf season. It would always be a reason to wonder why the crowd hadn't turned up, if, in fact, they hadn't turned up. A lot more time to plan last week's event, and it would have been a much bigger crowd, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. Now, no TV on the Saturday. Does that help or hinder your crowd, Chris? Yeah, you've got to wonder whether or not people know it's actually on. There's uh, precious little in the way of advertising for that one, I think, Hinder. 
Um, well, I, I'm more prepared to take the AFL way of old, where they never televised the game into the city that the game actually happened, and they got good crowds. Um, I don't think television was the key to getting a crowd to the track. I would have thought more people might have turned up the Saturday because it wasn't on there, but uh, people still like to go out on a Sunday. Yep. Nervous that we had a smaller crowd on Sunday, though, so obviously a lot of people didn't know it was on. Having it on on Saturday might have let more people know it was on. Mm. I honestly think there was more people uh, there on the Sunday than the Saturday because all the photographers who walked around the track were flabbergasted when they said they had the same size crowd on the Sunday that they had on the Saturday. I actually do not, and I refute those figures. Okay. Chris, what were the, you read the figures out. Do you remember them? Uh, seven and a half Saturday, approximately seven three seven seven on Sunday. It was only a hundred or so people different, but I'm the same. I must admit, I thought it was more like if Saturday was seven, it looked like ten on Sunday. Yeah, that was a load of crap, I reckon, and I think that was rubbery. Going back to the rubbery figures of the old days in in motorsport. Okay, should we start lynching officials who screw up? Garth Tander says no. He's right. You know, procedural or communicative, that was the question. If it's a communication issue, they can fix it. If it's a procedural issue, they can also fix it, but I'm sure there'll be a massive review uh, based on what almost happened last week. And, look, there weren't seatbelts in racing cars in the 60s, and now there are, so sometimes mistakes have to be made to move forward. Um, if we're talking about the safety car, no, it was a procedural issue. It could have been a communications, technical glitch, whatever. If we're talking about handing out, uh, not being inconsistent with penalties... Yeah, they should be made accountable, or V8 supercars need to brief them better so they're not so confused. And uh, maybe the lynching will help that Sunday crowd. Do two wins lock up the championship for Wing Cup, Neville Wilkinson? Uh, if he's 300 points ahead of uh, Will Davison by the end of the next round, he's wrapped it up. Um, other than that, it's still uh, obviously possible for Will Davison to win it. Chris Jill? Will took five meetings to go from greater than 200 points to less than 50 points, and in one meeting it's gone back to over 100, so I think his odds have shortened dramatically. I'd say that uh, Wink Cup highly likely to take it out. Well, we appreciate your time. That's Gas and Go for another week here on V8 Insiders, brought to you by V8X Magazine. It's in stores now. Look for the Bathurst winning HRT, Tanda Davison car on the cover. Thanks very much to the editor-in-chief of V8X magazine, Neville Wilkinson, for joining us here on the show this week. Pleasure. And also to the voice of the V8 supercars, Chris Jewell. Good on you, Craig. Thanks for that. Good on you, Neb. Speak to you soon. The white flag lap is up next. Tim Miles talks to us about sprint gas racing. To ask a question of the V8 insiders, just email them at v8insiders at sportradio.com.au. Stay tuned for more. Hi, it's Bugs here. Jason Bugwana from the Sprint Gas Racing Team, and you are listening to V8 Insiders. You've taken the V8 to the races. You watch the action on TV. Now, read about them in V8X Magazine. V8X Magazine, dedicated to just one thing, V8 Supercars. Showcasing some of today's best writers and award-winning photographers, V8X brings you all the news and in-depth interviews demanded by today's V8 supercar fans in one action-packed magazine. V8X, the number one magazine in V8 supercar coverage. Out now. On this week's White Flag Lap, Tim Miles has just become an alternate board member of the V8 supercars and is also in the middle of silly season rumours. I guess we're looking at them seriously, to be honest. We, we None of us really want to get out of the sport, but at the same time, you don't always get um, people coming up to you as keen as the people that are talking to us at the moment with the, with the sort of level of um, interest that they've shown. You know, by level, I mean 
you know, it's it's a it's a very attractive offer. So we are thinking about it seriously. We're obviously going to have to make a decision within the next week, week and a half, because um, you can't sit there in limbo land. I mean, the thing was, the business wasn't for sale, so we we weren't really prepared to um, to go down this track. And now that we've had these approaches, we've got to have a good, serious look at them and um, and make a firm decision. And obviously, then you've got to get go. If we decided that we were going to do it, we've got to go through the hoops that um, the the V8 Supercar Board put up. And they've got a meeting on the 18th of November, so which is quite unfortunate because it puts a uh, a, a um, governing body imposed deadline on us making a decision. So we'll definitely know one way or the other what we're doing by the 18th. Now, if they said to you, you can sell one, but we want to buy the other one, would you consider then leasing that second one out rather than giving it back? Oh, you can't. If, if the, the way that the REC rules work is if I, if I uh, put a submission to V8 Supercars, the submission is that I have accepted an offer at whatever the value is, the V8 supercars then choose to exercise their preemptive right and buy that back. Um, I have no choice but to sell it to them. So that's what I mean about the um, 18th being a self-imposed deadline. If we decide by their board meeting that we are going to give them a submission that says we are willing to accept these two offers, the, the board will either approve the two offers and, and our licences will, will be sold, or the board will buy one back and our licences will be sold. So it's a it's a very draconian um, deadline that they've imposed on the teams and it's the perfect solution because then you don't have this will they, won't they machinations going around the market. You, you either make a decision that you're exiting the sport or you make a decision you're staying in. So that's the decision we're making and then on the 18th, when it goes to the board meeting, um, they would make a decision if we put it to the board on the 18th, they will make a decision one way or the other on whether they're going to exercise their preemptive right or let the sales go through. If you were to sell up, it, it's a it's an even bigger job than if you continue on because there's the infrastructure, and the if, infrastructure is built on being in the premier category, not in a, a subsidiary one. Oh, hundred percent. Yeah. So it's more you, selling your licences. You, you're left with, you know, in our case, four cars, a transporter, a CNC, a, a, a full engine facility. Uh, so there's a lot, and that's exactly the process I'm going through at the moment. You know, so can we? Um, Start a KRE, for example, you know, a, a uh, an engine facility that that services um, Holden teams, you know, provides um, engines to Holden Holden teams because we've got all the infrastructure there. Can we start a, a fabrication business, or do we sell the fabrication business with one of the licences? Um, and, and then we've obviously got you know eight gearboxes, eight diffs, um, four cars, etc., etc., etc. So. It's, that's why it's not a, a five-minute decision. If somebody wanted up and offered me $10 million uh, for the business as a going concern, it'd be a two-minute decision. But, but when you're looking at getting extremely good value for your core assets, you've still got to work out what impact that has on the other assets that you own. My thanks to Tim Miles, Chris Jewell and Neville Wilkinson as the checker flag waves over another edition of the V8 Insiders. Keep smiling and bye for now. Join us next week for more V8 Insiders, only on v8x.com.au.